Thanks for your time, Kai. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Typical Swish on the Typical Twist Podcast Network. This is episode nine, and this is the second try at this one. Counted the first one as a practice run, so this is our second time going at it, trying again a couple days later. But uh, I'm really happy to officially welcome Sam Kavan as the official co-host of Typical Swish. And uh, how are you doing today, Sam? Yeah, I'm great, man. I'm really glad to be here and and uh, getting those technical difficulties worked out and everything. I think it's good. We got a practice run in and... Um, yeah, I'm ready to get going. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm really excited to get to get underway today. We talked about a lot of good things in the last episode, and I think we're going to go over them in a more brief fashion in today's episode so we can get to Game 4 kind of stuff. And you actually have watched Game 4 more recently than me, so you'll have a little bit better recollection of it uh, here coming up because you did end up watching it, uh, the rerun of it yesterday, correct? Yeah, so I had to uh, catch a rerun on NBA TV. They pretty much just run those all day during the finals. Um, I was actually went to a Houston Astros game on Friday. Um, baseball is definitely not the uh, not my speed after watching the NBA playoffs for a few months. But <laughs> no, it was I fun. feel that. I feel that. Cool but I bet the atmosphere was cool there. Yeah. Oh yeah, and thank God they closed the dome on it, so I wasn't like it wasn't too hot. I wasn't sweating or anything. It was it was still a good time. It just, <laughs> man, it'd be uh, it'd be nicer if it was the Rockets playing or something. The Rockets, yeah. Well, maybe not. Who knows with the Rockets well, this year? Well, okay, yeah, not not the Rockets <laughs> of this year, but uh, the Rockets of previous years, yeah. Of course, of course. So to get things started, <clears throat> I think some important things to go over in the series so far, because the last time that we did do an episode was a couple days or maybe just a day before the finals really started. And some predictions I made and a couple areas where I was wrong, um, my prediction was Warriors in six, and it's currently two to two, so that is still a possibility. But I'm not feeling as good about my prediction as I was before because I initially thought the Celtics were just too beat up, a little too hobbled and injured to really keep up with the Warriors' uh, motion offense and just you know keeping track of Steph for a full game when Marcus Mark has had some shoulder issues slash lower body issues. Obviously, Robert Williams has been struggling to make it up and down the floor. It just depends on the day with how his knee is feeling. And Jason Tatum, we've seen him kind of nurture that right shoulder a little bit every now and then when he'll take a bump at the basket or when he hits the ground a little bit. You kind of are a little worried for the guy because you never know what's going to happen with his shoulder because he has gone back to the locker room a couple times with, with that. So hopefully for the rest of the series, he's able to stay healthy. But... I was wrong. The Celtics look a lot healthier than I initially predicted. So what do you think about the health, the overall health of both of these teams this series? And what did you think going in? Yeah, so um, I mean, up until uh, towards the end of game three, when Steph had that kind of scary collision, like wrestling match or whatever with Al Horford on the ground, uh, I believe that was game three, right? Yeah. Um, that Other than that, like, and he obviously was fine because he had an incredible game on Friday. But other than that, I was not really concerned about the Warriors. And I thought maybe the Celtics, you know, after having such a physical seven game series against the Heat and then only getting like three days off before I even turn around and play the Warriors, I thought uh, as well that they would be struggling with that kind of just wear and tear stuff more. But it seems the only one who's ever in any visible discomfort is Tatum with that shoulder. Um, So I'd say overall, I mean, obviously if, if, 
you're a fan, you don't want that, but for that to be the only one that anyone's struggling with, you, you take those. Mm -hmm. And of course, these are two very tough teams, and I'm sure every player on the court is dealing with their own injury or, or ailment or one, one or the other, but these teams are pretty tough. Like I said, they have great leadership on both sides, great coaching, and they both want it really bad, and it's just been such a great finals to see. It's such a refreshing finals as well. Would you agree with that? Oh yeah, definitely. It's been, I mean, none of these games have really been like super blowouts, which is something I was concerned about because, um, I mean, that's been a well-documented problem this entire postseason, uh, especially that, that Heat Celtic series. I mean, there's only like huh. two or three games that actually came down to the wire and the rest were either like kind of last minute comebacks that you knew weren't going to happen or uh, the, the rest of the game just score-wise wasn't entertaining. But so far this finals, I think um, the only time it really got crazy was game one and the Celtics ended up pulling back from that. I guess... Um, Game two, they struggled a little bit, but that was still entertaining up until about six minutes left in the fourth quarter. So it oh, has been refreshing 100%. to see to see games that are close, most of if not all the way. Mm -hmm. Definitely, and it's just yeah, it's my fa this has definitely been my favorite finals since that. Uh, actually, the last time the Warriors were in the finals, that Raptor series, I really enjoyed. Aside from uh, the injuries that happened it was just at the time it was refreshing to see a new team kind of surface and become champions in that uh toronto raptors team but oh, getting yeah. into some oh yeah yeah go ahead do you have a comment on oh that? no i'll just say yeah absolutely it's this is uh so far definitely my favorite final since 2019 maybe even since 2016 i'm not sure we'll see how it ends mm -hmm. i think a lot of people would agree with that definitely but getting into some kind of analytical stuff uh some notes that i took after game one is both uh, defenses have took some interesting approaches to guarding uh, the opposing offense. So, so far in the playoffs, the Warriors have given up. This is a stat that I told you in the first, that one practice run we did, and it yep. was something that kind of surprised you. The Warriors have given up, uh, going into this series, I should say, the Warriors have given up 130 wide-open uh, three-point attempts. And they can kind of get away with doing that to teams like Dallas, teams like uh, Denver, and even Memphis to an extent, because... I mean, if you're the Warriors, you're going to let guys like Dylan Brooks, Maxi Kleba, Dorian Finney-Smith, um, who am I missing? I mean, like Austin Rivers in the, in the Nuggets series. I mean, you're going to let guys like that take those open shots. But now you're kind of seeing when you play a good three-point shooting team like the Celtics, which I think they're shooting like a scorching like 40% from three in the series as a team, which is just one of the better three-point uh, performances in the finals that I've seen in a while. But when the Warriors have just found out they can't, they can't get away with playing off the three-point line so much in any of their players because Peyton Pritchard, Grant Williams, and Derek White off the bench, those, are, those guys have been kind of inconsistent throughout the year, but in the playoffs they've really locked in and have been shooting a great percentage from uh, three. All three of them have. So all three of them have the confidence to take those open shots, and I think that's a huge game-changer when it comes to the Celtics' fluidity on offense. Uh, it also helps take relief off Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, so they're not having to create so much with the ball, and that leads to more of those isolation turnovers where the Warriors feast off of so much. So what have you thought about uh, – oh, I didn't even mention the drop coverage that Boston has been playing against Steph at times. So what do you think about the defensive approach for both of these teams? Yeah, so, I mean, even uh, last night was – or, sorry, Friday uh, was not a great offensive outing for the Celtics, and they were still able to shoot – um, I mean, you round up 40% from three, uh, which, as you said, is their series average. So they're still getting – the Warriors are giving them some of those looks. I mean, some of those looks are tough, right, and they're, and they're hitting them because they, they have guys that can do that. Um, 
But I, I think overall, it, it seems like the Warriors are, are kind of figuring it out um, as the series goes on more, especially around um, Jason Tatum. Uh, we can get into that more later, but um, the, the Warriors seem to have an okay defensive plan. Uh, Draymond's been pretty weird on some of his closeouts from three, um, and that's probably lending itself a lot to the three-point uh, percentage for the Celtics. I mean, everyone that they play, all eight guys, nine guys if they play Tice, uh, with the exception of Robert Williams, can hit an open three. So that's something you have to watch out for. At times they'll run lineups where they got five dudes that can hit threes out there, you know. Um, but it seems as if they're uh, they're choosing to lock down the inside, and I mean they uh, took home court advantage back going back to uh, California for for Game Five. So that seems to be working for them. And as far as the Celtics, uh, yeah, that Game One first half when Steph went crazy was just the like some of the worst defensive game planning I have ever seen, especially in the finals. I don't know what the thought process was there. Um, they got a little bit better at that. At times they'll still slip up because it's hard to. It's hard to do that every single time, you know. Mm -hmm. um, but they're they're getting slightly better with that. Steph is just he's he wants that Finals MVP, man. He he wants it. He looks mm -hmm. damn near unstoppable out there. And at this point, Steph has separated him so so far from Tatum, Brown. I mean, anyone on the court in this series, he's just head and shoulders above any kind of talent level you wanna you wanna throw out there. He's just levels ahead of Jason Tatum when it comes to being able to hit. I mean, you saw some of those shots he was hitting last night. I mean, he was getting he got fouled on a couple of those. It should have been four-point plays. He should have had a few four-point plays in that game, honestly. But some of those shots were just ridiculous. And that's Steph for you. That's why he's the greatest shooter of all time. That's why defenses will choose to double-team double team him over KD when he was in Golden State. And last night, Steph uh, went 40-10. and 10 And... Uh, who do you think the last player in the finals was to go 40 and 10? Ooh. Um, man, I'm not sure. 40 and 10, I, I would be – It would. Uh, God, I'm, I'm thinking Giannis last year because I know he had that one 50-point game. Um, if not – He was I, actually one – I think he was one rebound short that he game. He was one so rebound short. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Uh, and outside of that, uh, Jimmy Butler, because uh, I, I think he had like a 45-point triple-double or something, didn't he? Yep, it was uh, Jimmy Butler was the last one to do it, but also the last one to do it on the road was LeBron James, and that was in that Golden State-Cleveland uh, series in uh, 2016. So, yep, Jimmy and LeBron were the last two players to do that. And, I mean, for Steph to put himself in that company, uh, I mean, Jimmy Butler played like a finals MVP. You could argue in that 2020 bubble championship, even though his team was just outmatched. And, yep. obviously, LeBron James won that finals MVP. So there's a little trend there. And it's going to be interesting to see because Steph usually has one or two games per series where he doesn't shoot terrible, but he, you know, it's just not one of these crazy explosions of three-point excellence that Steph usually puts on. So usually there's a game like that where he takes a step back. But honestly, I mean, you see the look in his eyes and the emotion he's been playing with. I don't know. That might not happen this series. I, I would be – I mean, you, I don't know if you can count on him to, to put up 40 and 10 every game. I, I don't know if that's realistic, but um, yeah, for him to have like a, a real, like a really bad game, um, like he's, you know, seems prone to in playoff series, just to have one, which I, you know, not every, nobody's perfect, but I don't know the way he's playing. I don't think, um, like, I'd be surprised if he could top game four's performance in game five, uh, but I'd be even more surprised if it was like a sub 20 point poor shooting night. Mm hmm. Oh, yeah, 
So, I mean, we kind of covered Steph there, and without explanation, Steph is just one of the all-time great players. And, I mean, he can win the next two games and win a championship for his team. That's just the the level of player he, he is. And I wouldn't be surprised if he puts up another performance like this, but I also wouldn't be surprised if he takes a step back and maybe they, they drop a game going into Boston here. Uh, but we'll, we'll talk about that later. But I want to get into some adjustments that each team has made and specifically some rotation adjustments that Steve Kerr has been making. And the first one came earlier in, earlier in the series in game two when Gary Payton returned from injury, and it was around the time when Clay was struggling and taking those ill-advised shots. And Steve Kerr, you know, he rides with his veterans, and he usually likes to keep them out there regardless of how they're playing, regardless of the decision they made in the last play. But he did not hesitate to bench Clay Thompson for extended minutes in favor of Gary Payton II, who at this point in his career is just such a better defender than – is a much better defender than Clay Thompson. And – you know, he's not a good sh- as, as good a shooter, and he doesn't get the same shots as Clay. But, I mean, look at that play he made last night in game four where he caught it in the corner wide open, and instead of shooting, he uh, allowed Steph to relocate in the corner. Uh, kind of did a handoff, little handoff ball screen for Steph in the corner, and you just saw the panic. Well, you first saw the relief in the Boston Celtics defense when they saw Gary Payton catch it in the corner because they're going to let him shoot that every time. Oh, yeah. But when they saw, they're like, thank God, it's – Steph passed the ball. We don't have to worry. And then all of a sudden, Steph is relocating the corner for an open three. And, you know, I mean, that's just – that's what that's what Steph does to you. And that's what he'll do to the best defense in the league. So I've been really impressed with what Steph has been doing. But like I said, that adjustment for Steve Kerr and the Warriors, uh, putting Gary Payton, the second, Gary Payton second in for Klay Thompson when Klay Thompson is not playing the best and not taking the best shots. And the biggest one was Steve Kerr benching – Draymond Green with eight minutes left in the fourth quarter in favor of Kevon Looney because, well, something we mentioned in the in the first run through and uh, something you t- uh, mentioned before we recorded today was, in fact, that Boston, or excuse me, Golden State's rebounding percentage skyrocketed in Kevon Looney's num- uh, minutes. He ended up with what? Was it 11 rebounds last night? Let's uh, see. Looking at the stats. Yeah, yeah 11 rebounds. Yep. And there were some really physical rebounds in the fourth quarter that were able to help kind of turn the turn the momentum in Golden State's favor. So <clears throat> I know you have some stuff on that. So what do you think about that Kevon Looney adjustment and what he brings to the table uh, when it comes to offensive and defensive rebounding? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, he well, you know, to be fair, he wasn't the only one who stepped up big on the on the boards last night. Oh yeah, can, I yeah, yeah. I'm hundred percent sorry. Yeah, yeah, I completely forgot to mention Andrew Wiggins' rebounding game. It was oh, it was yeah. crazy. Sixteen rebounds for him. Sixteen rebounds for your. I mean, your your small forward, right? That's that's incredible. Like anytime he used get to play that, shooting guard. Yeah, used to be. Yeah, really, like a like a two three guy, and to get sixteen rebounds, and for Steph to have ten. Um, that's that's crazy. Draymond got nine, which is something you know you, you expect about that from him. And uh, I, I said after um, game three, um, I, I didn't know. I asked you actually if if uh, Kevon Looney, if I missed like an injury or something, why is he only playing like fourteen minutes? Um, just because you you watched that game three and it seemed like the Celtics were getting every loose ball, every rebound. Uh, like yeah, man, maybe the Warriors could use a, a you know a heavy seven footer out there. Um, and they, they play him for 28 minutes last night. He pulls down 11 rebounds. Um, and I'm looking at some advanced stats here. His total rebound percentage was 19%. Uh, percent. So he's, I mean, and I, wow. I believe that stat is 
for every rebound that goes up while he's on the floor, he grabbed almost one in five, which is is incredible. That's right? elite. That, that counts offensive rebounding, defensive rebounding, like all of that. Um, that that is elite, and anytime you can get that, and Wiggins was 18, so those two out there putting in the kind of minutes they did with that kind of rebounding, um, that. The Warriors out-rebounded the Celtics by 13, and I wouldn't be shocked. I, I didn't look at the other games, but I wouldn't be shocked if that's the first time they won the rebounding battle. Um, maybe game yeah, two I, just – Yeah, I would assume yeah. they did. I would assume they did. Looking at Steph – I mean, Steph's giving you 10 rebounds. Andrew Wiggins, 16 rebounds. Yeah, they, they had to have. This this is just uh, kind of an anomaly. Oh, it, it is. It is. And if you're the Warriors, like, I, I don't I, – I, again, I don't know if you can rely on Steph getting 10 rebounds every night or Wiggins being all the way up at 16, uh, but you absolutely can expect – 10, 11 rebounds in 25 to 30 minutes from Kevon Looney if you put him out there that much. Um, and you can expect Wiggins to be around that 10 mark if he's out there that much. Um, and I, I think that's huge going forward, like to limit those second chance points and offensive rebounds are such momentum killers, man. Like uh, it's one of those, you know, pre-recorded 2K lines that I've heard a million times, like giving up an offensive rebound after a great defensive possession is, it's like in football, right? Where you just you play great for three downs and then you give up some fluke fourth down conversion that is so crushing like mm-hmm. just momentum to how you're feeling out there as a team um so being able to lock up on those boards i think was one of if not the biggest reasons that they were able to uh you know pull out the win on the road mm-hmm. oh yeah 100 percent. and that's it that is something that concerns me a little bit when it comes to the warriors is I mean, like you said, you can't expect Steph Curry to get 10 rebounds again. You're definitely not going to expect Andrew Wiggins to pull down 16 rebounds. You're going to need guys like Draymond Green. You're going to obviously need Kevon Looney. And Otto Porter Jr. is going to have to, in his minutes, he's going to have to be more effective as a rebounder. So if Golden State can get the role players to all team rebound, and I think that's something that Steve Kerr and the Warriors leadership is capable of, I think they can come together as a team and they did it last game I mean that's just a great example of what they did they know what it takes to win and they know it's going to take a battle on the glass so absolutely you can't win NBA finals without getting rebounds and as cliche as that sounds it's definitely true and we're seeing it happen before our very eyes here oh absolutely and with with the height Boston has out there usually you'd expect them to win that battle and um the Warriors just I mean, uh, you know, this sounds cliche as well. They just seemed like they wanted it more when the ball uh, came off the rim, you know, Um, and they got it. I mean, out of the guys that you would want to have good rebounding games, all of them had good rebounding games, including Steph, with the exception of Otto Porter Jr., who essentially started as the four uh, for the Warriors. And he only played 14 and a half minutes. But for him to have one rebound, you'd like to see that be a little higher. But uh, when those other guys are rebounding like that, that works for at least one game. All right, so I'm going to read off a couple interesting stats and the most important stats when it comes to the deciding factors when it comes to winning these games for both teams. So last night, oh, not last night, uh, a couple nights ago in game four, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, and Marcus Smart combined for 35 missed shots. And that's just, you're never going to win a game. uh, Even at home, you're not going to win a game like that. And Jason Tatum had six assists last night. The magic number for Jason Tatum is seven because when Jason Tatum has seven assists, the <clears throat> Celtics are 18-2 and two coming into this series. So that's something to watch. That's something definitely to watch out for. So a key stat from Marcus Smart as well is when Marcus Smart gives you 18 points on offense, the Celtics are 8-0 and in the playoffs this year. So that's definitely something to keep an eye on as well. 
So Tatum played bad last uh, in the last game, and he was 8 of 23 from the field. He was actually shot well from three, but he was 4 of 15 on twos. So came into this series, or came into this game shooting 34%, and then puts on that performance again. So how much do you read into this poor field goal percentage from Jason Tatum in the series thus far? Yeah, uh, maybe... Uh... The only thing I can think of for him to have just this whole string of really not having a great shooting night is is maybe that shoulder is is tweaking a little bit because um, the I, the Warriors aren't doing anything that the Miami Heat didn't do in the Eastern Conference Finals and he just he he hit like it seemed like he hit all those tough shots not down the stretch but uh, like in the middle of the game he struggled in the clutch mm -hmm. even in the Eastern Conference Finals but um, he just seemed to be hitting those most of the game and. Now to go eight for 23, uh, yeah, that's not great. Another thing that I think offensively that he was, I mean, six assists, which is under that seven number that you said, I didn't know that's a, that's a crazy stat, but he also had six turnovers. Um, and if you're Jason Tatum and you're shooting sub 35% from the field and you turn the ball over six times, I don't think the Celtics are going to win many games at all with, the, with that kind of performance from their best player. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and those six turnovers – like you said, that's detrimental. But I think uh, in in his defense, he was still creating some pretty good looks last night for his teammates. He did have six assists, but I think he could have had more. They, they just weren't converting off some of the opportunities he was creating. So <clears throat> I think Tatum's playmaking is going to end up being a deciding factor in who comes out on top of this series for sure. But another stat I'd like to read off before we kind of get into some game five prediction kind of stuff is the Celtics are three and seven off wins in uh, the last two in the, oh, excuse me, in the playoffs. And it's just, they come off of losses really strong and they usually bounce back and win off losses, but off wins, you kind of see the inexperience and lack of, uh, I'm trying to think of the right word, just I guess lack of urgency when it comes to closing out a team, yep. especially at home last night. And the Warriors uh, did keep the streak going from 2013 of winning a game on the road in every playoff series they've played since 2013. So they were able to keep that streak alive. That's something we talked about in that practice run through, which is mm -hmm. an incredible stat, really. For, the first four games have been interesting. I think we got into a lot of good stuff. So let's talk about what we think or what we can kind of expect from both of these teams in game five. So are there any key adjustments or anything you'd like to see uh, either the coaches and leadership change going, coming into this game five? Or I mean, besides the drop coverage that the Celtics keep playing uh, on accident sometimes, but what, what do you think about uh, what, what these teams need to do in game five? Yeah, so I think um, for the Warriors, uh, same recipe. I mean, again, you, you can't really expect Steph to have 43 again. Uh, you can, uh, consistent 30, um, you know, is, is what you can expect from him. But it's it's rebounding and just all around, like, consistent play. I mean, no one outside of Steph, who was just handling the ball like crazy, had more than three turnovers on the Warriors. Uh, so they're able to limit those turnovers, um, you know, get as many shots up as possible. I, I think if they just keep rebounding. I also think, while his numbers aren't, like, eye-popping or anything, uh, Jordan Poole putting up 13 shots is, is pretty damn important for the Warriors, just for him to be shooting that much looking for a shot that just helps everyone else get open more he only went six for 13 which includes two for seven from three so you'd like him to shoot a little better but just the fact that he was able to get 14 points on 13 shots is is a really good sign for the warriors i think mm -hmm. yeah definitely and 
Speaking of shot attempts, we've we talked about this a little bit in the run through uh, a few days ago, but we've seen the Warriors go to that Steph Curry high pick and roll. Even at the top of the key, we've seen him hit some of those ridiculous shots off screens, obviously. But mm-hmm. it's almost like a Steph screen and roll is just more effective than anything they can get in the half court against this Boston defense. And that's just a credit to the Boston's uh, elite defense because we know how deadly the Warriors half-court offense can be at times and how frustrating it can be against defenses. But I think at this point, Steve Kerr has kind of realized that a Steph screen and roll is the best uh, the best look you're really going to get on offense against this, against this uh, surging Boston defense. So I think Steph needs to shoot 30-plus times for the rest of the series. What do you think about that? Shoot, uh, sorry, what'd you say? Oh no! I think Steph needs to shoot at least thirty plus times uh, in the next in the few in the next few games if the Warriors want to stand any chance because he only got twenty. I mean, only got twenty six shots up. I mean, he got twenty six shots up, fourteen of twenty six. That's fifty three percent shooting, and he also got to the line nine times, and he went eight of nine. So I think Steph needs to shoot the ball thirty times, and if anyone's capable of getting thirty shots up, even if like the defense doesn't want them to, it's Steph. So I think that's definitely something to look for in Game 5. I think Steph will shoot 28-plus times at least. Oh, I I agree. And you can get away. Um, you'd think maybe only 25. Like, 26 was plenty enough last night – or Friday night, sorry, um, last game. And, you know, you'd think maybe 25, but you're not going to – if you're the Warriors, you're not going to out-rebound the Celtics by 13, uh, you know, um, down the stretch mm-hmm. of the series here. I don't think you can count on that happening. Uh, and you'll need Steph to be getting a lot of shots, and maybe that comes as maybe you know I'd rather have Steph taking a bad shot than Draymond shooting an open one at this point. Um, exactly. So my line of thinking was Steph goes fourteen and twenty six, but you look at his teammates: Andrew Wiggins seven to seventeen below fifty percent, Draymond Green atrocious one for seven, Clay Thompson seven for seventeen, just like Andrew Wiggins, and you mentioned Gar- uh, excuse me Jordan Poole earlier six to thirteen. So. Those guys, the shots that kind of keep those guys under 50% shooting, if somehow the Warriors offense could convert those to Steph Curry, even if it's a Steph Curry contested three, I think that's just more valuable for your offense than, you know, Klay Thompson pulling up for two or three of those contested pull-up mid-range jumpers, you know, or a Draymond Green floater uh, in the short corner. Or even an Andrew Wiggins, you know, Andrew Wiggins is uh, susceptible to taking a contested mid-range jumper at times too so I think if they can convert some of those bad looks into Steph Curry threes and screen and rolls I think they'd be better off that way and it's easier said than done because Steph's workload on offense is already enough the way it is and he's getting attacked like crazy by the Boston screen and roll game on the other side of the ball so it's just going to be whatever Steph can handle it's he's going to have to put it all on the floor in order to win this series yeah, I agree. Um, it, it is that's a lot easier said than done to get him, but I mean he's the he's the ultimate like bailout guy. I honestly maybe in, uh, definitely right now maybe in NBA history like just I, even him taking a contested three is not always a bad look, uh, especially if he's in rhythm and he's shooting well. Um, and, and at this point, unless Draymond's catching the ball with two seconds left on the shot clock from three, he should absolutely not be taking one. I don't care if he's the, literally the only player on the court. Um, Unless you 100% have to take like like there's no other option, or you're gonna get a shot clock violation, I don't I don't think you want him. I don't think he's made a single three all series. Had he? Has he? He went 0 for two on Friday. Oh, I mean, I would be surprised if I looked in the box score and saw him made three from Draymond in this series. I think he I think he almost made one, but his foot was on the line or something one time. 
Ah, okay, yeah, cool, because he was one for five from two and 0 for two from three in, in game four. But it, sometimes that's just what you have to do. It's the shot you're going to get. You would really like – I mean, that is literally a 0% shot this series, I'm pretty sure. Um, <laughs> so you, you would like something better. It, I would rather have Steph take a five feet behind the line, contested three, than Draymond shoot an open one at this point. But um, I can't remember if those threes were late in the shot clock. Again, sometimes you just have to take that shot. Uh, but I certainly hope that they would be looking for that. So before we get into our official Game 5 predict, score predictions and uh, just predict who's going to win, is there anyone on the Warriors team uh, or on the bench that you'd like to see maybe get some minutes, maybe like an Andrew Iguodala appearance for maybe Andrew Iguodala, Andre Iguodala for maybe nine minutes, or maybe in one of the young guys like Kaminga or Moody, do you think one of those guys getting implemented into the rotation in, in favor of maybe Otto Porter Jr. or maybe some reduction of Clay Thompson minutes? Because uh, Clay did play 40 minutes last game. So is there, any, is there anyone else you'd like to see on the court? I, you know, I, I think... Uh, not anyone that I'm dying to see out there if I'm if I'm a Warriors fan, but uh, definitely like Kaminga can get some good offensive. Re- I mean, some good rebounding minutes. Um, he's mm-hmm. he moves the ball decently well. If I mean Otto Porter was really not doing much out there. Um, yeah, if you got to cut Clay down a little bit, you maybe cut down some of those bad shots from him. Um, it just depends. I think them inserting other people into the lineup depends on how uh, they're players that are out there are doing I don't know if going in they I think they need to put someone else in there but if you know after the first quarter someone's really struggling maybe you think about it get into some predictions for game five I'm going to stick with my Warriors and six predictions so in order for that to stay true uh, the Warriors are going to have to win tomorrow so my prediction is Warriors win by eight plus points and uh, I'm counting on a big game from the Splash Brothers uh, Steph and Clay I think they're going to carry uh, this Warriors offense, and it's, I think there's going to be a lot of transition turnovers and a lot of transition opportunities for the Warriors in Game 5. And part of my pick, not just because uh, I picked the Warriors in 6, is mostly why I'm picking the Warriors tomorrow, but also Robert Williams left the game last or a couple nights ago in Game 4. I don't know if you noticed, but he kind of did re-injure that knee a little bit. He had to ask out and didn't come back in after, I think it was the 7-minute mark, and that was kind of the turning point where the Warriors came back on the glass, uh, like we talked about earlier. So... If Robert Williams isn't fully healthy going into game five, then uh, I think that that increases the Warriors' odds a whole lot. So what do you think? Yeah, that's absolutely him. Him Robert Williams being able to put in those minutes um, is huge because, again, the Celtics cannot get out-rebounded like that. Uh, I think the how this game is going to go is going to be dependent on how – you know, you, I know you mentioned you know, the Splash Brothers in Golden State, right? But I, I think it's going to be dependent on how – Tatum, Smart, and Brown shoot the ball, specifically Tatum. I mean, for those guys combined to miss that many shots, like you said earlier, you can't have that happening. You can't have Tatum shooting 34.8% from the field. Like, I, I don't even know how that happens with a guy as as talented offensively as him. Um, I think if you can get Tatum shooting 45% or higher and Smart and Brown are right around that 40 mark, I think the Celtics win. If not, I don't see them producing enough offense to keep up with the Warriors um, at home or on the road, I guess. Before we get out of here, I will mention one thing. The Celtics offense is really good, but we, we talk about the Celtics defense and how it's the best in the league a lot, but kind of shot, overshadow the fact that Golden State had the second best defense in the regular season and postseason. So when we see guys like Jason Tatum struggling and even Jalen Brown, if he'll shoot poorly for a night, I mean, 
Golden State's defense isn't on the level of Boston's, but they can make it hard for guys, in particular Jason Tatum, uh, and you can tell by his field goal percentage. So you got to keep an eye on that because the Warriors' defense is definitely nothing to be played with. So, And I think that kind of wraps up everything we wanted to get into tonight. I think it was a great episode, and we covered a lot of things and pretty much everything I wanted to get into. Is there anything uh, you'd like to mention before we get out of here? I, I think I'm good. I, I, I agree it was a great episode, and I'm really excited for uh, Game 5 tomorrow night. Big thanks to Sam for joining the typical Swish team here as my official co-host. There's no one better for the job than Sam. Uh, he knows what he's talking about, and I do enjoy talking basketball with him every day. And uh, like I said, thank you for joining the show, Sam. Hey, uh, I really appreciate it, and uh, you know, you guys give me the opportunity, and I, I'm having a blast recording this and watching the finals and being able to to break it down with a uh, person as knowledgeable about the NBA as yourself, and uh, looking forward to keeping it going. So you guys can look forward to hearing Sam a lot in the future episodes. We are going to record. When do you think we can maybe get another episode out, Sam? Uh, what works for you for another recording date? Yeah, um, I mean, we can definitely get one in um, post-game five, Tuesday, Wednesday, a quick one, and then um, we'll see about uh, post-game six. With that being Thursday night, um, you know, before the weekend and stuff. Uh, not, I don't know if I can commit to anything until like Saturday afternoon there, but uh, hopefully we can definitely put out a uh, at least one um, for sure between games five and six, hopefully two. Great, yeah, awesome. So yeah, I think we should plan on that, maybe getting one done on Tuesday. So you guys can look forward to that one. Big thanks to Sam for hopping on today and joining for his first official episode as the co-host for Typical Swish. And I think that about does it. Thank you guys all for listening. Peace guys. See you later. Yeah, blue face, I'm a rolly. Whole lot of ice, no goalie. I'm in a place with no police, so that's your girl, she know me. I'm in a place with the homies, and they all know the drill, and they all in the field. I might put them in my will.